Behind the Shades. Well, I am Julie McLean, and I come from a small town in New Jersey. I am currently living in Jacksonville, Florida. And to go with our topic, I am a suicide survivor. And now I talk about mental health and mental illness, trying to end that stigma so that we can prevent suicide. Thank you for sharing. So I know there's a lot of terms for suicide, right? So we have self-deletion, mm -hmm. we have self-harm, we have all these different type of um, connotations for the actual mm -hmm. act. So for those who don't know, tell us what is someone who has survived suicide? Again, somebody who has survived is a suicide survivor. However, people who don't survive, we usually we used to say that they, they committed suicide, but we don't use that term anymore. They died by suicide because um, we've found that committing suicide means that you've actually have consciousness when you do it. And I can attest to the fact that you really, when you get to that point, sometimes you just have zero control. And, you know, so you end up not committing this act, but dying by this act. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And the reason why I wanted to explain that to me is because I'm someone who hasn't experienced suicidal thoughts. I'm someone who... Lucky you. <laughs> lucky me, right? Yes. God is good, madam. God is good. And I'm someone that knowingly, or maybe unknowingly, I don't have someone around me who's been in a position where they've said, today is the day that I am going to decide to go through something like this. I've interviewed many people and they've always told me that the day they decide to attempt it is not the day that they thought of it because they've had those thoughts for weeks on end. So take us through how you came to the point where your, th your first thought was, I think this is an option for me. And then to the point where you actually attempted it. So back when I was 16, I was a teenager. I was awkward. I had a very difficult household experience and I just didn't feel loved. And I found myself one day walking home and in the town that I lived in, we have you know, these overpasses that go over a highway because the highway splits the town in half. And I was walking over that overpass and it was dark and secluded that night. And I found a bottle on the ground and I broke it, just smashed it and broke it and put it up to my wrist and said, I just can't take this anymore. And for some reason, I stopped and I thought about it was just so impulsive, so impulsive. And then I actually literally had to stop and say, wait a second, what's going to happen to my family if I do this? What's going to happen to my friends if I do this? I already knew what was going to happen to me. I didn't care, but I cared enough about them that I couldn't go through with it. So that was at the age of 16. Then when I was 
22, I had a three-year-old and my marriage was not the best. And here I am a 22-year-old with a three-year-old, not really knowing how to be a mom. And it felt like the world was just coming down on me. And I was just so down and so depressed and so feeling like the world was just pressing down on me that after dinner one night, I said, I'm going out. And I went to the store and I bought a bottle of liquor and a box of pills. And I went to a nearby park, took the whole box of pills, drank the whole bottle of liquor, and then realized what the hell am I doing? And I was only a block and away from a block and a half away from home. And I went home and I said, help me. And all that got me was my stomach pumped and in the hospital. Nobody ever talked to me about what my feelings were and what I was going through. And time went on. I learned to manage things, got out of that bad relationship, got into a, a very good relationship. And then I had a tragedy after a tragedy after a tragedy in my life. And I decided at that point that one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get myself help or I won't be here. And I honestly, I loved my son and my husband way too much to do that. So I checked myself into a hospital and I was fortunate that enough that I was seeing a therapist at the time who helped me get into the hospital and get some help so that I can start thinking a little bit more about what I, what was going on with me. And at that point in time, it was the worst five days of my life. It was being in that environment was horrible. And I got out as soon as I could. And then I worked on my mental health and, you know, I was good for a long time. I was good for 19 years. <clears throat> and then again, in 2019, I had one thing after another, after another, way heavy on me. And I do have to preface this by saying, I thought about suicide almost every day of my life. So it's always been a struggle for me and always been a battle for me. And quite honestly, I probably should have been doing therapy for a lot longer than I did. And I stopped for a very long period of time. But one night, my husband came home and I was crying like a baby, sitting on the couch, crying like a baby. And I told him I was going to leave him. And he wouldn't take that as an acceptable answer. He knew that something was wrong. First of all, I was crying my eyes out and I don't normally do that. And he asked me the three most important questions of my life. And that was, are you okay? And all I could do was shake my head that I wasn't okay. Do you want to hurt yourself? And I shook my head, yes, that I wanted to hurt myself. And the most important of all was, do you have a plan? And I had a most definite plan. And he did not leave my side for the rest of that night. I think he stayed awake all night, quite honestly. And the next day, he got me the help that I needed. And I was put into an intensive therapy. I wasn't put in inpatient. I was put in outpatient because the inpatient part scared the heck out of me. But for the first three days, I sat there 
with my head down, my bangs covering my eyes. I had no idea what anybody looked like. And nobody knew what I looked like or sounded like because I wouldn't talk. I, I mean, I couldn't even, it took 45 minutes for me to even tell a therapist that I needed help because she couldn't help me unless I told her I did. <clears throat> so after about three days, I realized, wait a second, all these people here are sitting here talking about their mental health and their struggles and their attempts at taking their own life. And I'm like, why shouldn't I be doing that? Why am I being so selfish that I'm not sharing this with other people? So I started talking and I realized that, hey, wait a second, this feels good. It's the first time I ever wasn't ashamed of my mental health. And so I started talking and I got myself help and I helped myself for the first time ever in my life and taught myself how to meditate, how to um, say affirmations, how to journal. It was a huge thing. And I read a book called Negative Self-Talk and How to Change It. Changed my life. I realized all of, I, I used to say, if I talk to my friends the way I talk to myself, I would never have any friends because I was so negative to myself. And by learning all of that, I stopped being negative towards myself. Do I struggle with it? Absolutely. Do I still talk, feel that, you know, are those suicidal feelings? Absolutely. Some days are worse than others. Some days are better than others. Um, but I've, I've met, learned how to manage those feelings, which is not easy. Because if you've never felt that, you know, people say, oh, I get depressed all the time. Um, okay, you get sad and it's situational usually. For me, I can't get out of bed. I can't move my body because I just feel like dead weight. I can't breathe because I feel like something's sitting on my chest and I can't even talk to express my feelings because I just feel blank. <clears throat> and that's the hardest part of it is that when you're in crisis, you are to a point where you can't help yourself. So many people say, well, why didn't you tell me you were struggling? You can't. First of all, you have that stigma. So when you are feeling decent or you're feeling that decline, you, you can't say anything because of the stigma. And then by the time you're there, you physically can't say anything. And, and so now I want to get out there and I want to let people know that it's okay to not be okay. We all have to deal with our mental health. Some of us have mental illness. I take medication. I deal with my mental illness. That's okay. But I also deal with my mental health, just like you do and everybody else deals with mental health. And we have to be able to say, hey, I'm not okay. And that's why I'm here. And it's to let you know it's okay to not be okay. I like to say we all bleed red. We all deal with our mental health. Um, that's that's my story in a nutshell <laughs> and i want to highlight how your spouse played a, such a pivotal role that night for you 
I would not be here had it not been for him. So many of us need a person like that. And it brings Mm -hmm. me to a point where those listening, we all have someone, I would bet, we all have someone that is suffering in silence. Absolutely. Right? And Mm -hmm. I want to unpack a few things that you said because you highlighted some key points and some key ages. And I want to go back to, you said 16. You were experiencing what you're feeling, and then you decided to take that bottle, break it, and make your first attempt. At 22, Mm -hmm. you have a child now, and then that was your second attempt. And then in 2000... It came this close to succeeding. That close, yeah. That close to succeeding. And then your third attempt was 2019. And the reason why I want to highlight those three dates and those three ages is that in our teens very confusing time for a lot of us, right? Our bodies are changing. Our minds right. are changing. We are trying to figure and, out and our place in the, the world. The world is changing now. And, and it's like, mm. you know, you have to try and transverse this transition that you're going through when you're a teenager. And, you know, our parents can only teach us what they know. I come from a generation where my parents didn't talk about this, but because their parents didn't talk about it. I'm the first in my family to openly say, hey, I have a mental illness. And I wish I did it earlier because I had a cousin who died by suicide. And you know what? Maybe if I started talking about how I felt and talking about my mental health, he might be here still, but but I can't sit there and put that blame on me. I, I have to you know, realize that it was a moment in time. He didn't have a mental illness. He just had a bad day. And it's not a bad life. It's just a bad day. And he's not here to see the rest of those days. Yeah. So. And then, and, and that's the thing, like we always feel that we could have done more, but at that point in time, you weren't equipped to do more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then 2019, that's a big year for many, many people in this world because that was the last year where we had our old life. And then 2020, Mm -hmm. 2021, 2022, we have a different version of what we knew life was. And I'm pretty sure, based on the numbers, at least in Canada, that there was many people who attempted and there's many people who succeeded. Absolutely. When you look back... On your life in 2019, how different is it then versus today? Totally different. It is 100% different, both personally and in the world. You know, personally, I, I went through the first five months of the year with things that triggered me. You know, and, and they might seem mundane to some, but my husband and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in January of that year. In February, I went to a conference and I overwhelmed myself. I ended up staying one day too long and my, my, my mental health just crashed after that. And then one, my niece had a little baby girl in March and my other niece, well, my nephew, his girlfriend had another baby girl and you would think that that would be happy times, I lost a baby girl. So it affected me. And then at the end of April, 
very dear friends of mine passed away. And for me, that was just the last straw. So it was the beginning of May that I ended up, you know, going through this and, and saying, I just can't take it anymore. It's too much. So what, after that, it's like, okay, now I have to get this therapy and now I'm working with therapists and now I'm getting medication. And now I'm still sitting here saying to myself, you're not, why are you bothering? You're not good enough. Your life doesn't matter. What, what makes you think that, you know, things are going to get any better. And from there, after all my friends really surrounded me because I had, I told them what was going on. I actually had to open up and say, Hey, I need help. It was a huge thing because I couldn't be alone. I wasn't allowed to drive. I had to go to another conference. It was only a weekend long, but my husband was a director for this conference. And I had an international president of the organization that was going to be sitting right next to me the whole time. So I went to my friends and I said, you know what? This is what happened. I need help during this conference. And they were all so supportive. That was the amazing thing is how supportive everybody was when they found out what I went through because they had no idea. Because I would walk into a room and I would feel like this before I walked into the room and I'd walk, open the door and I'd say, hey, everybody, how are you? I'm here. <laughs> Nobody knew at all. And, and they were just so shocked when I told them what happened. So I relied on those people keeping in touch and, but I still was very negative towards myself. And around December is when I decided that I need to take a break and work on me and fix me. I mean, we hadn't even heard about COVID by then. And starting in January of 2020, I committed myself to isolating myself for three months so that I could work on me, to teach myself how to meditate, how to, how to use affirmations, how to journal, how to use aromatherapy to lift my mood. I've even used crystal energy healing. I, I've gone through the gamut of trying everything. And I can honestly say everything has worked to a certain extent. So never rule anything out. But mid-March came around and now I'm locked up for the rest of the year. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I've just spent the last three months learning how to do this and let's put it to the test. And I did. And I worked some more, but it's an ongoing thing. It's not something that you can work on and then stop. It's a, a daily occurrence. I've, I've just myself gone through a, a little bit of a low in my in my mental health and I stopped journaling I stopped meditating I stopped doing all my planning I stopped working I, I work for myself so I stopped working and now I'm behind but that's okay um, but I realized that hey wait I, I gotta go back to doing all these things because that's what's going to help me keep all the momentum up and keep up my mental health so it, it's a constant work in progress and I still constantly think about suicide just about every day, but I'm able to manage it right now. And the days that I'm not, I have a great support system and I love it. 
what are some of the ways that you navigate those thoughts, even though, even though you go through them almost on a daily basis? So when I first start feeling those thoughts, I, I immediately try to separate my thoughts and my body, so to speak, and start meditating, start journaling, knowing that there's something there that has to come out. So I start doing all of that. Um, I talk to my husband. You know, I, I, I've spoken in the past about talk, how to start conversations. And the biggest part about starting conversations about your mental health is finding your person. And it could be anybody. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It does, I can't really sit and talk to my mom. I love my mom to death. She doesn't understand it because she comes from a different generation. She comes from a generation that didn't talk about these things. She comes from a generation that hasn't, it's not that they haven't felt it. She has not felt the sadness and the depression and the, the weight that I felt. And so you have to make a list of people in your life that you think you can talk to. And then effectively plan, okay, will this person really be here for me? Will this person pass judgment? Judgment is a huge thing. You know, if this person is going to turn around and say, oh, just get over it. You'll be fine in a couple of days. That's not the person to talk to because that's not the person who understands you. You need somebody who's going to be accepting and understanding. And you need to do this when you're healthy. You can't do this when you're in the middle of a crisis. Because as I said in the beginning, you can't speak. You physically can't speak when you're going through this crisis. So find that person. Because when you find that person, you will always have somebody there when you need them. And I'm super fortunate that I have a couple of people. Because I have such a great support system. And, you know, I have a backup. Not that my husband's never here, but I have a backup. And I had a long conversation with my friend about this and she turned around to me and she says, you know what? You have helped me so much. I can't not help you. So <clears throat> you make impact on people's lives when you actually open up and talk to them and let them know how you're feeling because the probability is they've felt the same way and have just been too afraid to talk about it. So, Julie, just a question for you, as someone that may come across someone that I know that may be going through these things, or maybe it's in a way that I can identify it. So I guess my first question, which is one of two, would be, how can I assist someone that may be going through suicidal thoughts? So you have to really recognize what's going on. People who are struggling with their mental health, they change their whole way of doing things. If they were social butterflies and they start introverting, that's a problem. If they're making plans for lunch with you and all of a sudden they cancel at the last minute, you want to question that, especially if they're doing it constantly. Um, I would even cancel doctor's appointments because I wouldn't even get out of the house. Um, somebody's isolating themselves in the house. Somebody's 
talking about how life isn't good anymore or or just everything's going wrong those are the keys to you being i don't want to say the word triggered because that's not the right word but it's time for you if you're observing things like that to turn around and say hey i'm noticing some changes are you okay and don't take yes for an answer if you really know they're not because too many people and i and i've I've talked to so many podcasters and a couple of them have already said to me, I've had friends that I've said, Hey, are you okay? And they said, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry. Y'all I'm good. And they took their own lives a couple of weeks later. I, I, I couldn't even imagine how that could affect somebody's psyche that they actually did say something, but didn't do anything. So the key is, is looking out for those people that are are changing how they're going about life and have they decided that they're not going to go about life anymore isolating yourself and and pulling away from people is a perfect example of that but you still might not see it um i was you know one of those things is perfectionism that people always talk about you know i i had to learn that if i wasn't perfect i'd be boring because i'd never learn anything but I also would say yes to everything. I would say, sure, I'll do this. Sure, I'll do that. Sure, no problem. I can do that. And then I'd under deliver. I wouldn't finish it. I wouldn't do the job that I w- thought it was good. And then I'd get down on myself. Even if somebody thought that what I did was fabulous, I didn't. So when, if you're starting to see those types of things in people, that's when you really have to step up and say, hey, are you okay? And the probability is, is you're going to have to pull it out of them. But if you do find out that they're not okay, there's so many things you can do to help. One of them is say, you know, do you want to talk? If they say, no, I don't want to talk. You can turn around and say, well, can I just sit here with you for a little while? You'd be amazed at how just sitting there quietly can affect somebody on a positive manner. If you're really worried about them, say, hey, come with me. Let me take you to go get some help. If you think that they're an immediate threat to themselves, call 911. Because especially if it's not a family member, if it's friends, if it's a family member, say, let's go. We're going to the ER. Don't, just don't let it go. If you really are feeling that most people will know that something is just not right you know and like i said when when i had my crisis now mine could be different from everybody else i don't know i don't know how everybody else feels but for me i just felt like dead weight i i i couldn't move i didn't want to move and and there was nothing here nothing in the brain it just was dead and that's how i kept feeling and that's that's what brought me to why are you even here so but yeah making sure you pay attention to the people that are around you and getting them not taking yes for an answer and getting them the help if you really feel like they need it that's that's the all-important part of it the second question that i would have in regards to that as well as you shared such a beautiful 
um, method for someone like me who wants to assist people to do. And I guess the second question, the follow-up would be when someone is thinking about attempting self-deletion, when someone is having those types of thoughts, what is something that they can do immediately to kind of talk them down from that proverbial ledge that they're on? So if you yourself are struggling and you're to that point, it, it's a balance because how deep are you? That, that's always the big thing is how deep in are you? If, if you're so deep that you can't think straight, you know, you're, you're beyond because I can tell you, you can't even just pick up the phone and text help. You just can't do it. it. It's just not, you're not physically, mentally capable of doing any of that. You know, anybody who struggles with their mental health, if they have a mental illness, if they, they struggle with pain, <coughs> excuse me, pain is a huge trigger for a lot of people. Um, talk to, you gotta be proactive. You have to talk about it um, in the United States. And, and I'm sure you can get it anywhere. Um, there's this thing called the RAP program. And basically it's just a list of things that your person can do when you're not doing well. So I'm trying to remember what RAP stands for. And I'm sure I should remember it. So, um, but yeah, you, you do that. And it's just a list of, oh, it's uh, wellness recovery action plan. That's what it, it stands for. And when you're healthy and when you're well, or when you're feeling good, you go through this on what somebody else can do for you if you end up in crisis, whether it's, you know, just sit with me or get me to a hospital, or I don't want these people around me or, you know, whatever it is, it, it's a step-by-step -step plan and you can get it right online, um, this step-by-step -step plan. And if you, you know, you struggle with your mental health, I would highly recommend going through that process and filling it out. And that this way, if you do get in that place you can always let somebody know if they see it to go through this plan um it, i didn't have that plan in place beforehand but it's possible that maybe you can if you had it handy just leave it out on a dining room table or you know hand it to a, a family member as a trigger to say hey wait i i'm not doing good so, so that's always very helpful. But all I can say for the most part is you have to talk about it. You have to let people know what's going on. I have a friend that was very outgoing. Um, she was in marketing. She was a promoter. She was just everywhere and everywhere. And then 2020 hits, 2021 hits. And then in 2022, she became very reclusive, very indoors, very to herself. 
even though things were moving forward, she didn't want to be in large settings. She didn't want to be inside venues, even if it was like a Starbucks, for example, right? Very outdoors, mm-hmm. very like the boogeyman's yeah. everywhere, right? She probably slept with the lights on. So it was to the it's point. Possible. <laughs> it's possible, right? It was to the point where I began to notice this. And then I would check in with her probably every week, every two weeks, just to make sure everything's okay. Because I was experienced enough to notice that there was a change. And one of the big things which you highlighted is that if the person goes from 100 to zero, something is up. Even if they go from 100 to 50, something's up. Hmm. And I would start talking to people if they go from 100 to 70. Because there's that change going on. And, And with the change comes your mind just changes and you never know what they're thinking of when that happens and that's what i was trying to get to right i'm trying to get to that root of i hope she isn't having these types of thoughts because many times in my experience when they begin to have those thoughts and at least initially they begin to isolate themselves Mm -hmm. become very separate from people so is that an indication that hmm, something may be up and there may be more to what is being presented? Right. I think we're talking more about mental health since COVID and the lockdowns, because what happened during the lockdowns is all of a sudden people were either with, you know, it was my husband and I, and that was it. And, you know, some people, my mother-in-law, she was all alone. <laughs> so all of these people now are, confined to themselves and to their own thoughts for the most part, you know, where Zoom was a great thing to connect. Some people rely on getting out and seeing people for their mental health. So now all of a sudden we're all isolated and then things start to open up. And when things start to open up, now we're taking that aloneness and putting it out in the world And now it's like, people, oh my God, people. And and you get nervous. And I I, I still do that. We have have season hockey tickets and I have to sit on the end of the row. I can't sit in the middle of everybody because it's just too claustrophobic. So we have to get comfortable getting out and doing things and, and being with those people again. But what we tend to do is when we feel that anxiety about going out into the world and the masses, we tend to shut down and step back. So that's where it's always great to have a person to say, you know what, why don't we go out to lunch? Just you and I sit outside. Can't do that in the middle of winter for most people, but we'll sit outside and, and we'll have a nice lunch together and, you know, start integrating that person back into having people around them um, instead of letting them just slide back into their comfort zone. Got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. <laughs> 